don't think so much about job opportunities or any of those other things. He said, go and live near where your friends are. <laughs> Be where the people you love live. That's, that's what he suggested. And then speaking about friendship very specifically, he, he said this. He said, like the sacramental use of, of water and bread and wine, friendship takes what's common in human experience and turns it into something holy. I agree. Um, we as human beings, we long for connection. We long for relationship. Do you remember those family studies? Uh, if any of you took an introductory to psychology class back in, in Romania many years ago, they studied orphans and orphanages, and, and they found that, that babies that were not touched, that were left untouched day after day after day would wither, and, and actually many of them would die. And, and contrast that with those who received hugs and they had time every day being held and, and cuddled and, and loved on, those were the children who thrived. It seems like human connection is almost as necessary as the food we eat or the air we breathe. It's that, it's that important to us. Why is that? Why do we have such a profound need to connect? You know, why do we cr so crave relationships? Well, the biblical doctrine of the Trinity tells us that the essence of life is relational because our God is a relational God. God is community and he formed us, he made us for community. As people, we're made in the image of God, so, so should it be a surprise that we are so deeply relational and interdependent creatures? Good, good uh, friend of mine recently said, he says, I crave relationships. And, and, and since he's a mature Christian, I thought, uh, he might have said something like, I, I've learned to be fine with just God and me or, or just Jesus and, and me. But instead, this mature follower of Jesus says, I so crave relationship. A couple of weeks ago, we started to explore the question of how do we experience the Trinity? Not just how do we understand the Trinity, but how do we go about applying the doctrine of the Trinity? You know, and this morning, I want to focus on just one aspect of that question, how the doctrine of the, the Trinity will profoundly change our relationships and how we connect with one another. Let me start by saying that the foundation of that is God actually likes to connect with God. God likes to be with God. Uh, God the Father is truly himself, and Jesus is Jesus, and the Spirit is, is the Spirit, not when they're doing their own thing, but when they are, are one. As a, a leader, uh, Gregory of Nazianus, I don't know how his name is pronounced, said in the early church, he was a leader then, says each member of the Trinity is full selfhood, precisely in community, each one most itself in threeness. God is, is most himself when the, the three in one are interconnected together. Um, I've, I've experienced a sense of this in my own marriage. Angel and I, uh, we've been married now for a long time, and we do not, by anyone's standards, have a perfect marriage. Because you know what, folks? I married a sinner. <sighs> Let's just pause and dwell on that fact for a while. Now, in spite of Angel's sin and mine, 
and our flaws and our stubbornness. Uh, in fact, we had, I've told some of you before that, that we had a friend come up to us and say, you two are some of the, two of the most stubborn people I know. Do you really think it's good that you two should get married? You know, you know what's going to happen with, and we've had our share of sparks because of my wife's stubbornness. But <laughs> there are those glorious moments where we experience this incredible sense of oneness and togetherness. And, and, and honestly, it's more than just an absence of conflict. It's more than just uh, shared experiences and happy moments. You know, it, it's something deeper. There are moments where there is this beautiful understanding and relating that goes on and, and connection with one another. As I said, we've almost been married 24 years. We've been friends for a few years longer. And you know, there are times where she can finish my sentences or I can finish hers. There's a sense that we just, with a glance, we know what's going on in each other's hearts or minds. There's what I would only be able to call oneness. And actually, Scripture, when it's talking about marriage, talks about marriage as the two becoming one. Of course, at every wedding I've ever been at, I, I usually think, which one? <laughs> but Jordan and So Young, at their wedding a couple of weeks ago, had a tying of the cords ceremony. It was really beautiful. They had three ribbons, and the minister led them in an exercise of, of braiding those three cords into one cord as a symbol of their oneness together, not just with each other. The third cord was actually God, the, this three-in-one joining of them. And marriage is actually, I, I think Scripture backs this up, meant to reflect the Trinity. Three distinct persons experiencing such unity, such togetherness, such, such harmony that they can be actually thought of as one. They can perfectly reflect one another. Again, as I said a few weeks ago, this has huge implications for how we view God. The living God is not an isolated God. The living God is not a solitary God. For all eternity, the living God has lived as relationship. As one author said, at the center of the universe is relationship. And from all eternity, the living God has been community, has, has been family. The, from all eternity, the living God has been infinitely pleased to dwell as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The early church, church used the, the Greek word perichorosis to describe this. It, it's, it's, a, it's a word that kind of means mutual indwelling. And you won't find that word in the Bible, but it's the concepts there, and it's most clearly uh, comes across in the relationship, the things Jesus says about his heavenly Father. I, I, I think of John 10 or John 17 or, or John 14 as being great examples of this. Just one example. John 14 says, Philip says, Jesus, would you show us the Father? And, and Jesus' response is, don't you know me, Philip? Anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe I'm in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I don't speak in my own authority. Rather, it's the Father living in me who's doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. You see, the Christian story is a Trinitarian story that the doctrine of the Trinity tells us that at the very core of reality is a God who lives as a community of happy delighted love. As someone once put it, God is a house party of love. Think, think uh, for those of you who've read The Shack, I think The Shack does a great job of, of portraying in a kind of an unusual setting 
what that party might look like, the kind of love that goes on between Father, Son, and Spirit. And so God loves to connect with God. And, and, and here's another wonderful truth. God loves to connect with us. Um, question for you. Have you ever entered into some kind of gathering, some kind of party, some kind of home where there was love evident there and you felt really warmly welcomed into that love? Has that ever happened to you? When I think about that, I think of uh, my mentors, uh, Don and Marion Mills. Don actually was significant in my life. Uh, he spoke at a, a small campground that I was attending and, and I really kind of met Jesus in a, in a significant way through through Dawn, and he followed up with me later on when I went to university. I, I went to university very close to the small village that Dawn and Marion lived, and uh, they'd invite this poor, starving student over for dinner from time to time. And uh, I always felt so privileged to be in their home with, with them and their three boys, uh, Andrew, James, and Philip. And, and uh, you could just sense it was a happy home. It, it was filled with love. It was filled with joy. And uh, they'd always put on this wonderful spread. That was the important thing for the food lover like me. Um, it, Don would always make sure there was cream for the coffee and butter for the bread. He, always, he said every time I was with him, I think every meal, he'd say, you know, if I'm ever too poor to afford cream for my coffee or butter for my bread, life isn't worth living anymore. That's what his thought was. He was a pastor. I think he should have had a deeper approach to life. But anyway... Later on, when I met Angel, um, they invited her along to join me, and we would have meals. And in fact, they did our premarital counseling, which I think saved us a lot of postmarital counseling, actually, was some good premarital counseling. But every time we entered their home, we felt embraced by them, and you kind of knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that we were in the presence of love. This is what the Trinity is like. It's kind of like a house of love, and you're most warmly, we are most warmly welcomed into it. This is no clique or, or, or exclusive club that it includes some and shuts out others. There's infinite room in this, this perichorosis, this, this party of love at the center of the universe. Daryl Johnson describes it this way. He says, God draws near to us in such a way as to draw us to himself within the circle of his knowing of himself. God draws us into his circle. God draws us into his experience of oneness, into this perfect community of, of love. Now, this doesn't tell the entire biblical story because uh, God is holy and we're not. God is a holy God. He's perfect. He's flawless. And, and we, on the other hand, are sinners, we're flawed, we're, we're broken, we're rebellious. Again, to quote uh, Eugene Peterson, he describes the church this way. He says, every congregation is a congregation of sinners. And if that weren't bad enough, he says, they all have sinners for pastors. <laughs> how did Eugene Peterson ever become my favorite author? I'll never know. So, so how does God invite us into his circle with all our brokenness in tow? Well, the, the biblical story is also a story of redemption, and it's, and it's a Trinitarian story. Jesus, the Son, comes to earth for, for our salvation, living the life we should have lived, dying the death we should have died, paying the debt for our sin. The Father 
who was in Christ, reconciles the world to himself as is so beautifully portrayed in Luke chapter 15. I love that story of the prodigal son where it portrays the heavenly father waiting, watching, looking for the prodigals who would come home to him, not with angry crossed arms waiting for them to come begging, but, but running, running out to, to embrace them and welcome them home. Romans 10 says, anyone, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And that relationship can begin this morning. Right, right now, you can call on the name of the triune God who is ready to receive you. God saves us. But here's the rest of the good news. God doesn't save us for ourselves. God saves us for and on behalf of one another. God saves us to be a people who would reflect the love that is already taking place within the Trinity. God saves us so that we will enjoy for all eternity connecting with one another. So one kind of crucial question to judge or or assess our our journey with Jesus is, is this. How well are we connecting? How well are we experiencing togetherness with other Christ followers? Do we connect in in any way like God does in the Trinity? You see, this isn't kind of an optional component of the Christian life. You can't say, well, I'm good at giving or doing things for God or showing up on Sunday mornings, but I'm just not into connecting with other believers. (laughs) According to 2 Peter chapter 1, we are to be participants in God's nature, in the divine nature, it says. We share God's life, and and so our life together finds its foundation in God's life together. Since since the very nature of the Trinity is the the shared life, the relationships, the, the community of love, the essence of our life together is love for one another. We're to reflect the love, and we're to reflect the unity of the Trinity. Uh, Jesus prayed this very specifically in his, what's been called the high priestly prayer of John 17. You want to get in on Jesus' heart for us? You read his prayers. And, and this is probably his best prayer. He says of his disciples, he says this. He says, my prayer is that all of them, all of my followers may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. So you see how crucial it is that we learn how to connect with one another and do it well. I mean, Hebrews 10 uh, puts it this way. It says, consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together. Or as we might tra- translate it today, don't forget to connect. And, and so in the time we have left, I want to explore three commitments that, that form the core of connecting with one another. First, connecting well requires a commitment to, to engage others. It's so easy to disengage from the body of Christ. Uh, it, it's true. Um, relationships are messy, and they're complicated, and they're risky. Sometimes they're even boring. And in relationships, you might actually get hurt. You might get tired. You might get overextended. You, you might experience rejection. I I think most of us could probably share stories of of disappointment or rejection in relationships. Perhaps you know the the pain of losing a friend. People move in and out of life so quick right now. We're such a mobile culture. People are always leaving us. I'm not talking just dying, 
But they just leave. They move away. They change churches. They change neighborhoods. It seems on a whim. And if, if we're honest, those losses can be devastating to us. God understands that, by the way. In Psalm 147, it says that God cares for the brokenhearted, and he binds up, he heals their wounds. I love that picture of God. But the problem is, so often we respond to our hurts by hurting others. We respond to our hurts by judging others. We punish others by, by perhaps disengaging or with, withdrawing or, or keeping our distance. Maybe we make kind of a silent vow to ourselves. I won't be hurt again. I won't open up again. I'm not going to be hurt like that. It doesn't matter if you're kind of a leader in the church or whether you kind of feel like you're on the sidelines. You can have a heart that is guarded. You know, a kind of a protective armor that sort of forms over time where you, where you in a sense say, I'm not going to be vulnerable. I'm not going to really let anyone in. And what's wrong with that, really? It does feel safer, doesn't it? It kind of does. And, and it is kind of normal, I would say. It actually is. But here's the thing. It totally misses the goal of the Christian life, which is to become more and more like Jesus and to actually reflect the nature, to become participants in the nature of the triune God. <laughs> is, is God a hermit? Uh, kind of disengaged and, and distant, uh, kind of like a high plains drifter, you know? No, God is a, a father and a son and a Holy Spirit, a, a community who lives eternally in a relationship of delight and, and trust and mutuality and, and giving and receiving. To close yourself off, to stay on the sidelines because you've been hurt or disappointed or even disgusted is to deny the nature of, of God and is to deny your nature as a follower of Jesus. So the first commitment really is a, a change in attitude where we might pray something like this, God, I've been disengaged, I've been disappointed, or I've held on to my anger or my bitterness, my, my judgmental spirit or my hurt, and so I've pulled away. Maybe I've seen the sin of everyone else, but now I want to deal with my sin. And so I, I commit to engage with your people. And it might mean that I, I join a small group. It might mean that I get real about my spiritual journey. It might mean that I get real about my sin. But I will engage in the life of this body of believers. The second commitment, and we'll see that they kind of build on one another, connecting well together is a commitment simply to be together. Uh, it, it's a commitment that goes beyond kind of just an attitude shift. It's it's, it requires a commitment to actually share time and, and space together. A commitment which in, in effect says, I will be with you. We're in this together. The Italians, by the way, call this dolce far niente. That's it for my Italian. That's it. You got it this morning. Dolce far niente or, or the sweetness of doing nothing. Other uh, people call it creating margin or basking, or, or lingering together. It just requires a commitment to, to just be together and enjoy it. It's, it's fellowship for fellowship's sake. There's, there's no other agenda but to connect, to be together. Again, this, this flows from the life of, of God's Trinitarian love. I mean, think about it. What was God doing before he created the world? He's experiencing this wonderful, beautiful, sufficient 
fellowship with one another. Why did he create us? Because the cup over always, true love always overflows. It blesses others. And he wanted to express it further. But I mean, it, it, they were, it, that, the eternity that God existed in this fellowship of love for all eternity, and God enjoyed it. Notice how the early church did that. They loved being together, and, and they shared time and space all the time. Let's look at these verses from the early church as recorded in the book of Acts. It says, they all joined together constantly in prayer. It says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. It says, all the believers were together and had everything in common. The apostles, they performed many miraculous signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. Just like the triune God, they hung out together and they seemed to, to enjoy it. They did it well. Um, I'd say we have a hard time doing this. Uh, many of us are infected with a disease you might call busy Baxin disease. Some of you immediately know where that's, that's from, but you, you can find this disease in one of the Winnie the Pooh stories called the Tao of Pooh. The rabbit uh, is in, one of the, in the midst of one of his crazy busy days. Rabbit's just going fast and hard all the time. That's his character. When he spots a note on the door of Christopher Robin, which says this, gone out, Baxin, busy, Baxin, CR, which translate, in, translate into gone out, back soon, busy, back soon, Christopher Robin. <laughs> and it's funny at that moment, uh, Rabbit feels like his whole morning has been spoiled because for, for once he discovered someone was even busier than he was, and it actually ruined his day. <laughs> for many of us, busyness is a higher priority for us than togetherness. I was, uh, I have that line written there, as, I, as most of my lines of my sermon, and I, I couldn't get past it this morning because it was like the Lord turned it on me. <laughs> and I could think of ways that, uh, that my busyness sometimes crowds out togetherness. And even though God made us all to connect, even though God made us for relationships, even though we need it and we're wired for it, and it's, a, it's this crucial journey in our journey with Jesus, we'd rather fiddle with Facebook or play on our smartphones or get wrapped up, absorbed up into our, our work or, or, or race from appointment to appointment or, or try to catch up on all the Netflix shows we've missed or something. Race into the, uh, our, living a, a marginless life, a life without genuine connection, and yet slowly die from a full-blown case of busy Baxin disease. Let me give you another uh, Eugene Peterson quote. This is the last one of the day, I think. Um, but this is one that I've shared with you before, and it's the one that convicts me most, where he says, busy people rarely give themselves to the people they love. That's very convicting. God made us to connect for the sake of connecting. And the early church, they, they loved being together. They, they didn't just go to church and get fed or entertained or inspired. They, they lived life together. In the power of the Holy Spirit, it generated this ex explosive energy. And, and this is a commitment to actually connect together. Honestly, it's one of the reasons that we serve coffee and tea after our services. We hope that you will hang out just a little bit longer and meet somebody and become friends. It's one of the reasons why we have that, that awkward space in the middle of our services where we greet one another. Uh, that's, that's a chance for you to just have some human contact in the midst of our services. 
And, and, and that's why we have small groups that meet in homes out in our community, and, and, and that's why we do picnics and women's retreats and, and men's breakfasts and all these kind of things. In fact, our, our leadership has had such a heart and burden for this that we're going to experiment with something. We want to create an environment of connection here at Hillside this summer. And so every Sunday, Sunday this summer, we're going to have a, a hot dog barbecue uh, after our service. Free hot dogs for, for everybody. You can eat to your heart's content. Today we're celebrating our grads, and we're doing that with ice cream floats. Yeah, it's true. So you can connect over some really, really sickly sweet stuff. <laughs> really healthy. Remember, no calories on anything you drink in this room. Uh, totally okay. Seriously, not true. Lied just there. Apologize. Um, but for the next nine Sundays, we hope that you will come and you will linger after and it doesn't have to be over a hot dog. Maybe you just plan to spend, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to not run out the door right after the service. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make our new friend. And uh, I, we know this is kind of awkward. Some of you hate this. And I, and I see you run out the door, by the way, because I stand out there. And I see some of you, you know, just beeline to the car. Let's get out of here as soon as possible. I might actually have to talk to somebody. Um, and there's reasons it's awkward. And one of them is sometimes you forget people's names. You don't know them. So this summer... Every Sunday, for the next nine Sundays, we're going to make you write your name on a little sticker when you come in the door, and you're going to slap it on your chest like that, and you're going to be able to, to know everybody's name, at least for the summer. And then, hopefully, with repeated contact week after week, you'll get to know a few names and feel a little bit more connected, a little bit more like family. And may we reflect just a little bit more the Trinity as we gather here on Sunday mornings. By the way, shout out to our young adult team and our hospitality teams because they're kind of spearheading the charge and getting food. They may need backup. They may need resources. There may be opportunities for you to serve and be involved. We'll, we'll let you know as the, the opportunities arise. But, but thank you to those who are prepared to serve. Let's give them a hand this morning. But in this second commitment, we really reject the view that simply connecting is a waste of time. We believe that God the Trinity is an answer to that, that, that us connecting like the Trinity connects is not obviously a waste of time. Third, in order to connect well, we'll need to make a commitment to honor one another. Notice how the triune God relates. The members of the Trinity constantly honor one another. Within the Trinity, there, there may be what some have called kind of a hierarchy or a, a functional order, it seems like, right? The Father sends the Son, and the Son glorifies the Father, and the Spirit, He bears witness to the Father. But, but it's really, or bears witness to the Son, I should say. But it's really clear that there isn't a, a hint of elitism or, or snobbery or dishonoring within the triune God. There's no competition or inferiority or power struggles or hurt feelings. Jesus did not walk around when he was on this earth saying things like, hey, look at me, I'm the son of God, right? What did Jesus say? He said things like, the son of man came not to be served, but to serve. And then we're told he was led by the Spirit. He allowed the Spirit to lead him and give, his agenda, give him the agenda for his life. He said that the Spirit led him even into the wilderness. He told his father, not my will, but yours be done. And then on one of those occasions, we, we've talked about some of these, when, when God kind of spoke from heaven 
in this particular case, he, he added to his, the, the, the words we've heard, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. He said, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. Like that's a profound line coming from the father. And notice the father didn't say, and also listen to me and pay attention to me and notice me too. The father didn't add that on as an addendum. The Holy Spirit comes in the name of the Son, bearing witness to Jesus and glorifying Jesus. God exists as a community of three in one who are a perpetual movement of of honoring and preferring and and serving one another. There isn't a a trace of, of arrogance or superiority among them. Which means when we even allow a sniff of pride or superiority to to enter into our hearts, we quench the flame of Christian community. We really do. Whenever I convey that I'm a notch above anyone else in this body, community dies and we don't convey, we don't reflect the life of our triune God. Here's one key to to Trinitarian spirituality is, is ruthlessly eliminate pride and superiority and snobbery from our hearts. Uh, honoring you means that I root out all the pride from my heart. For, for as the Apostle Paul says in Galatians 3, he says, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. There's no ranking. There's no hierarchy. No one's, no one's better than anyone else. Uh, honoring you means that I don't care if you get the credit and the glory for something that happens. Honoring takes no offense. Honoring points away from me or, or, or us to you or them. By the way, it's, it's amazing what we can accomplish when no one is vying to get the credit, <laughs> right? How much more we can do when nobody's looking to get the credit for something. When, when people learn to love and honor and prefer others and to let go of offense and to forgive. There's a, a great scene in the film, Into the Wild. Um, the main character, John McCandles, he's it's based on a true story, but he's on a journey kind of to go out into the Alaskan wilderness. He would die there, actually. It's kind of a tragic story. But on his way, he, they show some interactions in the film that he meets up with some people, and he ends up meeting with this elderly uh, man uh, named Ron who's a Christian. And they have these interactions and, and discussions with one another. And, and this is, they have this great, great conversation where Ron gives some kind of sage advice to this young, young man. He says, I want to tell you something. From bits and pieces of what you've told me about your family, your mother and your dad, and I know you have problems with the church too, but there is some kind of bigger thing that we can all appreciate. And it sounds to me like you don't mind calling it God. And then he goes on to say, son, when you forgive, you love. And when you love, God's light shines through you. Wow. You know, folks, when we honor one another, you know, whatever that involves, we become participants in God's very nature. God's light shines through you and in you. Folks, it's a core part of our calling to live the Trinity, to not just think about the Trinity, to actually live the Trinity. 
And I'm, I'm passionate about this sermon for very personal reasons. From, from day one of this church, when, when we started this endeavor many, many years ago, uh, it's been on my heart, I know it's been on many of our leaders' hearts, that we would actually change the world. That we'd actually make a difference far and near. Uh, that, it, that the community that we live in would be a better place because we're here. And it's been our passion to, to, to reach those who are hurting and, and to care for those who are broken and see, see them healed, to, to help the spiritually seeking in their journey towards Jesus, all those things. This passion disturbs me and unsettles me. And at times it, it becomes like a fire in my bones. And I know that many of you share that passion for our church as well. But let me say this. We cannot passionately reach out at the expense of or in place of our life together. You see, in order to reach out, we can never kind of reduce or shrink the importance of, of our community and of, of, of this sharing life together. We need to connect, and we need to do it well. And when we do, we reflect the love and the life of the triune God. Question for Hillside. What kind of people do we want to be? What kind of of church do we want to be? How well will we reflect the love that flows in the very life of God? Fractured church, a grumpy church where people are easily offended or where we're uh, unforgiving or mutually discouraging or gossiping or griping, negative, suspicious, those all reflect poorly on the triune God but a united church, a group of Jesus followers who truly love one another, honor one another, build each other up, suffer with one another, speak kindly to one another, even submit to one another in love, reflects the love that always flows from the life of the triune God. What is God saying to you this morning? What, what is your part uh, in displaying the love of the triune God to a watching world? Have you withdrawn or disengaged? If so, what's the next step in your connection to community? Are you sharing time and, and space with other Christians? Or are you too busy to even gather and experience fellowship for the sake of fellowship? Are you ready to honor others even above yourself? Let's conclude by praying. The final words of Jesus' prayer in his high priestly prayer in John 17, and the music team will come forward as we do. But Jesus prays these words. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you. And they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. And God, we ask with all the courage that we could muster, we don't even know really what this might look like for our church. We don't know what cost it might, might uh, involve. 
but we do want to demonstrate to your world the love of the triune God. May you enable us to, by your grace, connect with you and, and to step into the circle of your love, that beautiful love that we see in Father, Son, and Spirit. Lord, help us to experience that personally, that we might, again, know, be known as, as sons and daughters of the Most High God. But Lord, you don't just invite us into that circle. You broaden the circle. It's very open, and you're always welcoming a bigger crowd to the party. And so I pray this morning that you might enable us to reflect that in the way we relate here at this church. Teach us what it means to connect and engage with one another. Teach us what it means to fellowship, to, to simply be together for being together, to, to really enter into friendship, authentic friendship with one another. And Lord, we really struggle with this one. Teach us to honor one another, preferring one another above ourselves. Help us by your grace your mercy, and in your great love we pray. Amen.